0: Welcome to Servium, Latin for I Will Serve, a new podcast series from the Diocese of Rapid City, exploring the vocation to the permanent diaconate. Join me as I visit with some of the deacons who are fulfilling the mission of Christ as servants, sharing their gifts in western South Dakota. I'm your host, Karen Gibis, and I'm honored to introduce today's guest. Joining us, Deacon Rich Olson. Welcome, Deacon Rich.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family, what you did for a living, maybe what parish you're assigned to right now?
1: I can. There again, my name is Deacon Rich Olson. I confuse people because that's my middle name. My first name is Thomas. And my parents, uh, I'm named after my dad, so that we do that to confuse people. So if you ever see a document, you may see Thomas instead of Richard. But I go by Deacon Rich Olson. Family... Born, I'll start there born in uh, Mississippi as a military kid my dad was in the Air Force for 35 years my mom was a homemaker volunteer Sunday school teacher many things like that traveled all over the world I eventually joined the Air Force and did kind of the same thing I grew up as a Presbyterian and, and I think sometimes people that they see me as a deacon they'll go oh you were a Presbyterian I said yeah Active family. My, my parents were, like I said, Sunday school teachers, Bible readers, Bible studiers, not just readers. But I, I, one of the things I always knew that my parents had kind of modeled, because my, my mom and dad had come from two different Protestant faiths, is that I wanted to have in my family that we both were on the same page as far as our faith and how we worshiped. And when I met my future wife, Mary Helen, she was very devout Catholic, and she told me, if you want to see me on Sundays, I'll be at St. Mary's Parish. And you can join me there.
0: <laughs> That's a great Catholic.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I always say, wasn't like a bolt of lightning with the Catholic faith, but it was something that it felt comfortable that I in, enjoyed worshiping. You know, with Mary Helen, of course, but also the the worship in the mass. And uh, this was something I felt that I could do that I could do with together with my wife, and that we could raise our family in this faith. And so um, in 1979 at the Easter Vigil, I became a Catholic, received my first communion, and was confirmed. And we got married uh, six months later, or so in September of 1979. We have three children. Charlie uh, is married and lives in Omaha. He has three children. Katie lives in L.A. She's single. And Joey lives in the Twin Cities, and he has uh, two children. It's been a real blessing. They've all stayed in the Catholic faith, and I know that's not always the, what happens in Catholic families. And they grew up as military kids. So that's, you know, I think sometimes it could be a blessing, sometimes be a burden to uh, have to move sometimes, have to go through some changes. But we we fortunately, we settled here in Rapid City and we came here in 1987 and we really never left. I, I stayed in the military during that time and had to kind of move around a little bit, but we stayed connected to Rapid City. We stayed connected to the Catholic schools here. Mary Helen has been in the Catholic schools for over 30 years as a teacher and now as a principal for over six years. I still continue. I, Like I said, I was in the Air Force, came here with a B-1 bomber in 1987 as a pilot and retired here as a B-1 pilot <laughs> and uh, continued to work for the Air Force as a contractor, working within the B-1 simulator as a operator of the sim, helped the crews with their training. And so I, that's a real blessing, too, to kind of continue with something that I know, to continue being connected to young people, continue to be connected to the military, which is something that I've always known throughout my whole life, and have always loved, and just had a real affection for that that lifestyle and for the the people that make that commitment to serve their country.
0: Well, that is a great story—a I mean, conversion to the faith and inspired by your wife and her great faith. Those types of stories always inspire me in the sense that we all start at different points mm-hmm. in our journey in our faith, and it our journey isn't over until. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can change in, yeah, and move. Yeah. Which I think it's interesting that your parents—they really modeled their faith for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. they they were a firm and and showed you how how to live that that connection with each other, their faith mm-hmm, together, mm-hmm. not apart but yeah, together. Exactly. And I think that I mean kudos to you for knowing that that needed to happen when you got married with your wife for the sake of your children. Mm-hmm, yeah. That isn't something everyone is given that grace of knowing right off the yeah, bat. Yeah. So how did your faith journey with watching your parents model their faith, your conversion to the Catholic faith, your wife's strong faith, all of that must have played into your discernment to the diaconate?
1: Oh, certainly. I think so. There's an element of service all through that. My parents so teaching and working in different churches wherever we moved. One of the first things I, I did in the church before I was even became Catholic was help Mary Helen teach uh, second grade CCD at St. Mary's Parish in College Station, Texas. So, you know, there was a call to service right off the bat into catechesis, although I mostly was playing uh, a catcher for the little kids running around. Uh, <laughs> Mary Helen, uh, I would say more her charism in the beginning, but mm-hmm. she's like, oh, let's teach this baptism class. In fact, our very first place we moved to while I was in pilot training they said, oh, we have no one to teach high school CCD. Here we are, 22, 23 years old, and going in to teach the high school CCD. And that was uh, an experience. It was, it was
0: Not for the faint of heart. <laughs>
1: they were good kids. They were good kids. I said, they, they probably, they got an interesting education, I think, from me, especially as a new Catholic, just being formed in the Catholic faith. I think especially then, once we kind of realized that Rapid City was going to be our home and, and we start looking around, one of the first things I noticed was the deacons. These are different. I haven't seen, you know, what is that? Certainly uh, early on, I think, you know, like Deacon George Gladfelter, Deacon Lou Sarah, a couple of names that just come to mind from early on that were deacons, uh, what, 30 or more years ago. And then more recently, so with Deacon Jim Shear, Deacon John Osnes, and of course, Deacon Greg Sass, and there's others I could go on and name. All these kind of piqued my interest. What is that? What is? What do they do? What? What's that ministry about? And in all that, too, I had uh, priests that, that I know, good friends, that would say, you'd make a good deacon. And I'm like, yeah, right, sure.
0: So what qualities in the other deacons did you see that you weren't seeing in yourself that made you stop and pause? Great. That's a great question.
1: I would say something I wanted to touch on is that, that kind of that intermediary role that they play in the right. church, Right. that, you know, talk about specifically that they help connect the bishop to the laity. And I could see that charism in these these men, that not just the bishop, of course, but through the their, our pastor, the church in general, because the church is in an edifice that some people kind of, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. So hopefully, What I could see is those deacons were out there kind of helping connect the people to the church, and, and that was uh, that's something that really drew me to that thought of that vocation.
0: That works quite in your favor. I think that you have a natural <laughs> gift to draw people in to you, into you and to your your uh, story, your life story, and all, all of those mm. aspects that are needed. Deacons have to uh-huh. have that gift. Oh, yeah. But when you talk about discernment, you looked off, you saw those deacons, and you saw, oh, what is this about? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you saw the gifts that they were doing, the bridge between the bishop, the clergy, and, and the people drawing them together. When was it that you said, I can serve, I will serve?
1: Oh, probably the day before or so, <laughs> but no, really, I think the, the one of the things that I see, and it wasn't a diaconal vocation moment, you know Mary Helen would say, "Oh, there's a men's retreat or there's a men's conference." and I'm go, "Oh, sure, fine." And the day after the registration, and it said, "Oh, did you sign up for that? Oh darn, I forgot. I was held back from from doing those kind of things, and it was Bishop gruce had uh, I think it was 2010 or so somewhere on that had a men's uh, conference, and he focused on Saint Joseph. And just a Friday night and a Saturday, and I just just loved it. And I had such a great time. Bishop Groose is a great presenter, but then just being with the other men, talking about our faith, I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't so bad. And I, I came away with such a positive feeling, but I think I always felt like that was kind of the moment where that spark that said, Deacudy is interesting from afar to maybe this is something I should pursue. Of course, what happened there in the midst is that at that point, Bishop Gruse also said, hey, I want to reevaluate deconformation in the diocese. We're not going to do any more for, I don't remember, had three or four years or whatever it was. And so then there was this period where it's like, well, there's nothing I can do because we don't have a deconformation process. And so when that was finally reopened, uh, uh, we went to... Um, information night and talked about that. I would say we, Mary Helen and I, mm-hmm. and we talked about that, kind of talked about what that would look like. Talked to, oh, Father Brian, I think uh, Bishop Beegler was still Father Beegler at that point, And I talked to him. I'm a procrastinator. And so we have the application. We're kind of possibly ready to go. You know, and, and so it gets to the day before the applications are due. And Mary Helen says, are you going to turn that in? I, says, oh, I don't know. I says. Well, see, <laughs>
0: she didn't want it to be like the other retreats were. It was,
1: exactly, yes. The day after just, you, the
0: registration not deadline. Not so much you
1: must do this, but if you're going to do it, you, you, better, better do now. you better do it now. And so mm-hmm. we, we did get the application in and started the formation, the aspirancy, and uh, the rest of that formation process. The first part in our our formation process uh, it changed some for this uh, next group coming in, and it's going to change again. But what we did is a year of uh, aspirancy, which is really it's discernment. It's also learning how to discern.
0: Which so, is critical. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. So that was, we had we started out with, think like seven couples, went through that. For a year, we did a retreat at Sioux, Sioux Spiritual Center. Uh, we met on Saturdays for, oh, about four or five hours, I think, maybe a little longer. And just, we, we did some reading. We did some talking. Mm-hmm. did some sharing, obviously a lot of prayer. Part of the the whole process through deacon formation and priestly formation is similar as there's a review at the end of each year. So we go through that. And really, by the grace of God, I felt, you know, it's like, oh, but yeah, we want you to continue. Because uh, every year, I kind of like, well, is this going to be it? And we're going to, yeah. And I said, no, we're going to continue. So then we go into the next part called candidacy. And that's where then the bishop actually invites us in as candidates. And there's a, a, a mass that, that goes along with that. Then we started a three-year process. That process was tied to the, uh, the VSI program. So we did that catechetical program along with, uh, then we'd spend the rest of the day uh, after that Saturday once a month doing catechesis, then some more formation, the human, the spiritual, the pastoral, and the other that I can't think of right now. Intellectual? (laughs) Intellectual that we were doing, yes. Of course, I can't always do anything normally because I'd already completed VSI before I started deacon formation. So they said, oh, well, just audit for the first year okay, and just found that I wasn't, it's hard to audit a class. I don't know how other people are, but it's, it's hard to say, well, I don't have to do any of that work. I don't actually have to do any of this. Through conversation with some priests and some discernment, I, I asked if I could do a different intellectual formation p- portion for the deacon. And I was able to go into a program at the Josephinum Seminary out in uh, Columbus, Ohio, they had online program. And so instead I worked on a certificate in diaconal studies
0: I didn't even know something like that existed. Yeah,
1: neither did I. Actually, Deacon, Deacon Greg Sass suggested it, so he he had found it. He's good at that. Uh, he found that, but still came out on Saturdays uh, yeah. and, and would worship with the other candidates. And built built it, that
0: community. It, it build
1: that community, and then spend the evenings and mm-hmm. the next in the Sunday doing the other portions of the formation. For me, that was really good. I I enjoyed you know doing something different rather than just sitting and listening again. So so that was a you know, real blessing in my formation to have these classes to interact with deacons and deacon candidates uh, from across the country on these uh, online programs. Of course, your Zoom meetings and all those kind of things in, in the midst of that. So I started out, you know, one of the things too in deacon formation was the spiritual direction. So Father Tim Hoig agreed to be my spiritual director through the process, and he continues to, to do that for me and, and help me. Uh, so that's a good, great part of that that process. You know, and getting to meet more deacons, interacting more with uh, Deacon John Osnes, uh, with Greg Sass, with Deacon Fred Tully, and, of course, all their, their spouses. Uh, and just seeing more of that charism, the grace that we re- that deacons receive in their ordination.
0: Right, the things that they're living out day to day.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So when were you ordained to the diaconate?
1: October 8th, 2020, right in the midst of the the pandemic and limitations on how many people we could invite and all that social distancing and all those fun things.
0: It was a different than it has been in the past. It was probably a different experience having having a pandemic going on and, and right off the bat, probably feeling that pressure to be Christ to the world that mm-hmm. was
1: yeah, that, different I,
0: at that moment. Yeah, I would
1: say you know, backing up just a little bit. So the end, the last part of our formation, we really uh, missed out on. Because we mm-hmm. were unable to meet. We did a couple of Zoom things. Father Mark Horn gave us a class on uh, canon law online, and we did some other things uh, virtually. But, you know, it's not the same as getting together and right. praying together and right. worshiping together. Exactly. But anyway, so when we came up to ordination, it was the first time to get back together with, by then we, we just had three couples that had continued through the process. So to get the three of us, Bill White and Rob Robbie and, and our spouses back together again, where we hadn't met as face to face very often.
0: I bet that was a treasure.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the ordination, it's the only de- permanent deacon ordination that I'd ever been to. So. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was great. But, I mean, it's the community that you build just in that where you have other deacons that come to help you vest and to participate in that and then kind of lead you into once as you go through the, the, the liturgy to where all of a sudden you're ordained. And all of a sudden, you're sitting next to the bishop, and you're at the altar with the bishop. And Powerful. It's, it's a very powerful time. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you don't know what you're doing, but somebody is there going, yeah, go over here. Go over move there. Move over pick there. That up.
0: <laughs> and in the background, your wife is praying and,
1: oh, well, yeah, yeah.
0: and saying, you're going to do fine. You're going to do <laughs> fine.
1: Exactly. That was a great moment. Um, my, my family was all there, uh, my, my children and, and grandchildren. Uh, friend, good some good friends, all socially distanced properly mm-hmm. um, and then two days later, I got to baptize my grandson
0: <laughs> what an honor
1: <laughs> and that was so cool, and I got to plan that because there again we we had to you know make sure everybody was we had social distancing and yeah. you know, and of course, working with uh, father Brian as a pastor go what do I do? where do I go? how do I do this and uh, but to get up and to lead that liturgy, and for my own, my own grandchild, for my, my children, to baptize my grandchild is just is such a great experience, a great start, I think, into that vocation. First really realizing that there is a grace that you receive, as I mentioned before, in that ordination, that you may not feel at that moment that the bishop puts his hands on your head, but that there's a change, an indelible change from the Holy Spirit that makes me different. You know, and I think Mary Helen say you're different. There are things that you do now that you never would have done before. What we realized is that same change as in the ordination was a change that was affected on us when we were married because we received the grace of the Holy Spirit in our marriage vocation. And I don't think it really became real to us until we started the deacon ordination or deacon uh, formation process that we really had a vocation to marriage all these years, <laughs> and what a grace we had received there, and then the additional grace to receive as, as, a, as an ordained deacon.
0: So now that you're ordained a deacon, how does the process work for you to be, say, assigned to a ministry? Do you just draw one out of a hat? <laughs> does the bishop call you up and say, I need you here? Does your pastor say, here, I've I volunteered mm. you to go do this now. How do you get involved in a ministry?
1: All of those ways. The process, at least that, you know, as I went through, once I knew that I was going to be assigned to the cathedral parish, Father Brian and I had, I can't remember, one or two, maybe three meetings to kind of talk about what that was going to look like, what I was going to do. Since I do still have a, a full time job, how much time I could
0: devote to, to your to, ministries. Yeah, to
1: devote to the different mm-hmm. ministries. And so there was that conversation there. He says, you know, kind of what are the needs of the parish? What can you do? So I am uh, at the cathedral parish. I am coordinating the baptism ministry uh, for infant baptism. So when couples, families come in, and they have a child to be baptized, I help them get the necessary paperwork done to get them connected with—we have couples that provide the instruction for the preparation, get them connected there, and just help them get through the process and scheduling the, the, the baptism itself. So have to do that coordination. I also, by virtue—and we'll, we can talk about that more in a second—but My work in the marriage tribunal for the diocese. I also help people that are coming to the parish seeking validity study for their marriage and annulment, generally call it. Where they first—that's their first step. When they they'll approach the parish, approach the pastor, and say, "Hey, I want to do this. What do I do?" And we can start them out uh, that way. So I work with people on that. Uh, in the diocese, I work in the, the marriage tribunal, which is the you might say a court that evaluates marriages to whether they were actually sacramental when they were when the couples came together. And that came through uh, while working with Father Tim Hoyg and talking to him about my uh, we had a call to support people in marriage. So before I was ordained, we had worked in uh, marriage preparation in the parish. Uh, we'd worked in heart to heart retreats. and so I had a real real heart and a devotion to, to care for people preparing to be married. But I also knew that there was real need to care for people if their marriages didn't work out. And so Father Tim and I talked about that, and he asked me, and of course, it really becomes the bishop asking me to work uh, as an advocate is my title on the marriage tribunal.
0: And so how many days a week or how long do you have to devote to the marriage tribunal?
1: Typically meets about once a month. Uh, Sometimes there's a break because the the cases have to gather evidence, they have to do interviews priests do most of that work uh, as far as interviewing people, gathering a, a lot of that evidence. And then uh, all of us then have to read that and then prepare for the, the meetings, which are usually once a month. Sometimes it'll, there'll be a month break, depending on how many people are coming in, how many cases are ready. So the reading, you're talking about a, you know, and this is kind of dating, my, dating me, a small phone book of reading of all the testimony the man and the woman that are coming in to uh, have their marriage studied then all the people that are providing witness testimony. So there's a lot of reading to do. Um, and then many times we have to write a report basically yeah. on what we, what we saw and our suggestions to the court as the advocate. We advocate either for the petitioner, which is the person asking for the study or the respondent who would be the other person in the marriage that may or may not be asking for a study also. So I would say probably 15 to 20 hours a month, depending on on the caseload at the time.
0: So that doesn't take away from your obligations to the cathedral parish or worked into your ministry in the cathedral? I think so,
1: and that's where everything we do... Is supposed to be in collaboration with, with our pastor as far as how much time we're spending on different things and how much time we can do, because each year we sit down with our pastor and we basically write out a contract. Here's how many, how, how long, how many mm-hmm. hours I'm going to provide for all these different ministries. Deacon Greg, uh, as the head of the permanent diaconate in the diocese, will kind of look that over and go, hey, I think you're doing too much or you know whatever, and then that's presented to the bishop so he knows what all of his, his deacons are doing within the diocese.
0: So that does work hand in hand with each other. So you're not not taking from one ministry, mm-hmm. robbing, if you will, mm-hmm. opportunity to serve in one ministry sure. to sure. to serve in another. It's going to mm-hmm. work together. And the other thing I,
1: I have to bring in, that I still have to make sure there's an, I'm spending enough time with. My marriage, and right, with your my primary family.
0: vocation, yeah.
1: and then, of course, I still have to go to work every day.
0: <laughs> so talking about your family, let's step back to the baptism, especially, you know, because mm-hmm. what what an opportunity to baptize your grandchild. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about how the baptism that a deacon can do is mm-hmm. that different from the baptism that a priest can do, or is it the same it's, ceremony? It's
1: the same. it's the same rite. There is no difference. Uh, the prayers are all the same. Because we're all ordained clergy, just different
0: obligations uh, or
1: different places within the Mm -hmm. hierarchy of uh, ordained. You know, there's deacons, there's priests, and there's the bishop. So there are those things like baptisms that any ordained clergy can do. And of course, there's nuances to that. But in general, uh, you know, ordained clergy are going to do baptisms. If you're doing it in the Mass, it's going to be the presider that's doing the baptism because he is the presider. presider. So any baptism that I do is going to be outside of the Mass. Funerals are kind of the same way. Vigils, it's going to look the same whether a priest or a or a deacon. A deacon is there. And of course, lay people can also do vigils, different, little bit different prayers, but the same. Uh, I've gotten, uh, and I say the opportunity to do one funeral, which of course was not a Mass, but mm-hmm. it was a great opportunity to to do those things that you usually see the priest do because it, so many funerals are a Mass, which is it's great in the way it should be to go meet with the family and sit down and and talk. And one of the things I've known, you know, from other funerals that I've just, whether it's because of a a friend or family member whatever, is there's a lot of laughter actually in funeral preparation, because as you start talking about the loved one who passed, you can't...
0: There's memories that are popping up. Yes, there's
1: memories and and good times to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, so So that's why I say that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be with the family.
0: So when it comes to funerals and baptisms, mm-hmm. do you have to get special permission to do that? You know, can someone just walk into the parish office and be like, Hey, I would like Deacon Rich to do the baptism of our child? Or is this something that you're you're handed this responsibility? Or...
1: It's it's part of the you might say the charism of the ordination, but it's also something that, you know, the deacon is given those uh faculties by the bishop. So Theoretically, I, I love to preach. It's one of the things I found that I didn't think I would like, but I, I love to preach. But it's a faculty that the bishop can give or take away.
0: Or take away. Okay, you that know. makes sense.
1: So then, my parish, certainly there's always a coordination with the pastor.
0: If you're going to handle the vigil if, or if you're going to handle baptism, baptism.
1: You know, vigil... Anything with funerals usually is going to be given to me because somebody's coming to the parish, right? First and in, in their short notice, baptisms usually there's a long time to coordinate all that. Not gotten to done do a marriage, but that would be this I think very similar because obviously there's at least a six month preparation period, preparation yeah. period to get to that.
0: How many baptisms do you do in a year? Or you said you've done one funeral, but how many baptisms have you, oh, do you have you done?
1: I have to go back and look, but I, I think in the two and a half years. I've done about 10 or 12 baptisms.
0: That's exciting. It is.
1: It's very exciting. It uh, has
0: to give you a renewed vigor of your own life with mm-hmm, Christ to, mm-hmm. to oh, uh, yeah. bring oh, this yeah. child, this baby into the church. What advice would you give to someone who is considering the diaconate?
1: I think first would be pray. Really spend time with the Lord. And I think one of the things that really helped me in my discernment was about the same time as we started Deacon Formation was a time that we started 24-hour perpetual adoration at Cathedral. And just that one hour a week, Mary Helen and I both commented how much that changed our lives, how much it changed our good, blessed marriage to be even better, just spending that hour a week with the Lord in, in prayer and just in being with Him in that special way. So, prayer, spend time with Jesus, especially in adoration. And the second thing I said, find a spiritual advisor. If you're fortunate enough to find someone who can give you direction, you know, a priest or a deacon or a consecrated sister, something like that, who can actually give you spiritual direction, great. But talk to somebody in amidst your prayer to talk to that person. Of course, if you're married, talk to your, your, your wife. But I think beyond that, uh, to talk to maybe somebody that maybe can give you additional spiritual direction and leadership in that. So prayer and and conversation, I think.
0: Well, thank you so much, Deacon Rich, for coming today and speaking about baptism and the <laughs> marriage tribunal <laughs> and all of those words of wisdom that hopefully will touch the hearts of the listeners and help someone to discern that call to the diaconate.
1: Well, oh, I hope so. I certainly hope so. Thank Thanks. you very much. You're
0: welcome. Thank you.
1: If you feel God might be calling you to become a deacon or simply want more information about the Permanent Diaconate, please call me, Deacon Greg Sass, at the Diocese of Rapid City Chancery Office, 605-343-3541, extension 2228.